Hello and welcome to Phenomena, the podcast where we talk about Irish women who have been underwritten or written out of Irish history. I am one of your hosts, Maria Butler, former researcher turned bartender. And I am Shauna Lee Lynch. I am a playwright and poet. Shauna is going to take her turn this week to tell us about Eliza Lynch. Yes, I am. So, Shauna, who is Eliza Lynch? Eliza Lynch is a woman from Cork originally who ended up becoming the uncrowned queen of Paraguay. Um, she is considered a national hero- heroine in Paraguay and she's very much a part of the history there, but a lot of people don't really know about her here. Um, Quel surprise. <laughs> I I was really attracted to her first of all because we have the same surname. Uh, secondly, I've I wanted to hear what her story was. So it it is actually really interesting, and like some of the other women that we've talked about, there's kind of glitches in the facts or you know the matrix in the matrix, <laughs> the phenomena matrix. Eliza Alicia Lynch was born in Charleville in Cork in 1833. She was the daughter of John Lynch, a medical doctor, and Jane Clark Lloyd, who was from a family of officers of the Royal Navy. She emigrated at the age of 10 with her family to Paris to escape the Great Irish Famine. So there's not too much said about her between the ages of 10 to 16 in Paris. There's no, I wish there was like journals or something like, or something. It must have just been so different going from famine stricken Ireland to Paris in in that time. So there's not much about her pre-16, but when she turned 16, um, she got married. Now, the historyireland.com website put it in a very dramatic fashion. And they say the marriage was a travesty as it could not be recognised under French military or civil law. What happened was she married Xavier, another French name I am terrible at, Xavier... Quatrefage. Yes. Who was a French officer and who was in his 30s and she was only 16. It says in a lot of the information about her that it was not a nice marriage again the historyireland.com website follows on by saying Eliza's status must have been one of constant humiliation Catrifaz should have should have learned his lesson and played you know half your age plus seven (laughs) Um, it's very um, dramatic constant humiliation but there isn't actually but isn't that kind of what happened at the time though that wouldn't have been so strange back then yeah I don't think so, but also like, you know, half your age plus seven. Yeah, and she (laughs) is a literal child, so there's that. So she accompanied him to Algeria for two to three years, it's not really clear. But then she returned to live with her mother in Paris um, due to deteriorating health. Now, in all the sources, it doesn't say if the mother was sick or if it was her herself that was sick, so she came back to Paris. And then again, it jumps and they just say in all the sources that I will quote at the bottom of this, that due to few lucky introductions, she later entered the elite circle surrounding Princess Mathilde Bonaparte. 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 Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, hmm, then this next part makes sense. <laughs> um... Again, you are the historian, <laughs> I am the actor. And uh, quickly set herself up as a uh, courtesan. Mm-hmm. 
so she but I'd love to know how she got into these circles it's just like she came back from Algeria and now she's hanging with the with royalty essentially you know the top dogs but like Algeria would have been a colonial power belonging yeah. to France at the time so if you kind of think about it possibly it's like the English relationship with India would not be entirely dissimilar from the French relationship with Algeria mm. so if he's if if her husband's in the army and she's over hobnobbing with all of the army lieutenants and all that kind of stuff over beyond and he comes back when she comes back to France it's entirely possible that she made connections while she was in Algeria that then kind of invited her to the parties and and all that kind of side of life. Yeah. And then it's just a hop, skip and a jump to become a courtesan, <laughs> really. Especially if you're a young, pretty Irish girl living in Algeria, back to Paris, and your husband's a bit of a monster. You're going to want somebody to keep your bed warm, surely. Especially if they give you presents and nice things. Definitely. <laughs> Um, she was very fond of nice things, actually, which uh, I'll, I'll go on to describe. So when she was back in Paris, um, she met General Francisco Salona Lopez, son of Carlos Antonio Lopez, the president of Paraguay. So there's a few um, kind of interesting stories. It's very romanticized, or perhaps it was just very romantic of how they met but her whole story seems to have been um, dramatized in a in an almost like romantic novel way. Um, so there is my personal favorite. Wikipedia describes her as now this isn't cited or anything. There is no uh, reference. This is just on Wikipedia. So I want to know who wrote this. Eliza Lynch was described as possessing a Juno-esque figure, golden blonde hair, and a provocative smile. It was perhaps those very qualities that appealed to a visiting South American a year after her return to France. So they've really painted a picture of her like of a... A young, innocent, naive, but not overly naive. <laughs> seducery? Let's go with seducery. <laughs> Someone who's going to both seduce and be seduced. Yes. <laughs> I wonder, I like they'd cast her as like Scarlett Johansson or someone sultry and um, beautiful. Scarlett Johansson's too old. Who? Is that like, girl and little woman? Yeah, the one who played Amy. Florence Pugh. Yeah, she'd be good. Yeah, that's good casting. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually a film made about Eliza Lynch that was released a couple of years ago or a few years ago now um, with Maria Doyle Kennedy, who is also a badass Irish woman. Uh, if you've seen Orphan Black, she plays Mrs. S, and she's a musician, and she plays Eliza Lynch in the movie. She's in The Commitments. Yes. And she's in some other show now that wears a lot of Elizabethan-style clothes. I've only seen it on Instagram. Outlander? No. Oh, that's a good show. Yeah. Well, mm, like, it gets very dark towards the end of season one. Okay. Uh, good darker too dark too dark I started watching it a few years ago uh, when I was still working in UCC and I came into work and I was like um, like everybody needs to watch this the guy in Outlander he's so handsome the costumes are amazing the costumes are amazing yeah. and I was just like it was it was making my life and then it got to about season one episode eight and I have never been so traumatised in my entire life and I had to like go back into work and be like uh, so guys maybe that show that I was recommending like maybe don't watch it um, like I don't want to spoil anything 
but it's 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 one of the the darkest things I've seen on TV. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> it's off the record. So then, in other sources um, that aren't as um, sexualized of of her Juno esque figure, um, they say that she met Francisco in Paris in early na- early eighteen fifty four, and they became lovers. And there is a photograph taken of her at the time, and she is very beautiful. So that is confirmed throughout the books is that she was very beautiful. Um, Lopez, the son of the president of Paraguay, was leading his country's first diplomatic and military procurement mission to Europe. And Eliza met him. They fell in love. Eliza accompanied him on subsequent missions to European capitals where they were received, except at the Vatican. And I think that's because she was married before, even though her marriage was actually annulled because they never, he never she never bore his children and he got married again afterwards so the all the records say that their marriage was like null and void basically her mm. first marriage so um there is a bill from a dublin linen merchant that suggests that they visited dublin in july of 1854 and then lopez made a deal with uh, eliza's ex-husband employed eliza's brother john in the paraguayan navy and set her mother up in the Rue Saint Honor. In late eighteen fifty four, Lopez and the already pregnant Eliza travelled separately to Buenos Aires, where Eliza remained alone until their first son Francisco was born. She followed Lopez to Asuncion. 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 In Paraguay. <laughs> That's right, Asuncion, right? Do 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 do. Asuncion. In May 1855. So Lopez provided a residence of great style for his mistress in the centre of the Paraguayan capital as well as the country estate. He, She went there to Paraguay. They didn't live together. She was pregnant with the first child but by all sources she wasn't very well received. That They say that she stank of Paris and that she had errors about her that they didn't really like there and they didn't really want her to be a part of the the royal family there basically or the presidential family um so yeah they did not like her there um they they just didn't really take her in now i don't know is that because she was european was it because they knew she was married before uh, because she wasn't of a family of their stature, there's a whole host of reasons why they didn't really. Did she speak the language? She did, eventually for sure. But I'm not sure would she have, like, because it doesn't say if she went to a finishing school in Paris, if she went to any school, but she, I would imagine, and it is cited in a lot of these sources that she was very well versed and very intelligent but it doesn't say where that came from like was it educated or was it from life or was she just very she went to the school of hard knocks yeah that to be honest that's what it sounds like um yeah so she they say that she brought in a lot of kind of european trends and fashions and materials and vogues uh, that she was a part of introducing it into the society. 
Um, now, a lot of writers kind of bash her a lot throughout history of being like a Lady Macbeth type figure and say that she just got to, that, that she was after power all along. They say that she like, you know, trapped him, that she found him, wanted power and that they returned with the intention of um, what happens next. So just actually on that point, because um, we were talking about Little Women already, um, it, it can be kind of infuriating that you do see that a lot of women, it's like, you know, oh, well, they were only with them for the power and the money and the glory and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that, that line that Amy has in, in Little Women like pretty much sums it up perfectly. It's like, what else are your, your options? Like, you're not able to earn money. You're not allowed to do anything along those lines. So, yeah if you're gonna like use your vagina to get ahead why not <laughs> like what are your options whoring on the street if she's a divorced woman she's disgraced most people aren't gonna want to marry her yeah so like yeah go for it you do you she seems pretty dominant by what um happens over the next few years i would imagine she is very much a a hard knock of a woman like from being in a part of the famine going to Paris being brought to Algeria then coming back and like climbing her way up the ranks and it does actually sound like it was a real love story and I think that's why it has been romanticized so much and that their power between her and her husband actually is very like yeah they, their enemies would say it's very Macbeth like you know and then the their supporters would say it's very Romeo Juliet-esque. Um, but why can't it be both, I guess, is what I'm saying. Why yeah. can't it be a romantic story where she also chose to fall in love with him as opposed to choosing to fall in love, opening herself up to love with him as opposed to opening herself up to love with somebody penniless who wouldn't be able to help her? Like, why is that a bad thing? I'm sure he was a very handsome, like, exotic South American man as well that <laughs> happened to be the son of the president. Uh, actually, the night before he met her, he was, like, having dinner with the Queen of England. So he's pretty uh, appealing, <laughs> probably, <laughs> to, a, to a, a young charitable one. <laughs> um, so the favourite subject of conversation was often her beauty, her elegance, the luxury she enjoyed... Her ability to seduce and enchant and make a considerable impression. They went on to have five more children. Uh, Corinna, Enrique Venincio, Federico, Carlos and Leopoldo. When Lopez succeeded his father as dictator in September 1862, Eliza's position in society was transformed. To the horror of those who had previously sought to snub her, she brought French and Italian architects, theatre groups and musicians to Paraguay, arranged balls in the Club National, National, and provided lavish public entertainment for the masses. Through her popularising of the polka, she left an enduring mark on Paraguayan folk music. So, but Lopez was, it's described nearly everywhere as Napoleonic ambitions and that he was very steadfast in wanting power. He triggered a catastrophic war uh, that is the Triple Alliance War and that was between, it was against 
Brazil, Argentina and Uruguay and it lasted from 1864 until 70 in which over 90% of Paraguayan men and 50% of women died which is insane what happened was um, from my small history skills um, but he started the war because and instead of pairing up with like Uruguay or one of the you know the smaller countries to like take on Brazil say he actually made an enemy out of them all so it was three countries against one very small country the war effectively ended when Brazilian forces occupied Asuncion in January 1869. Lopez, Eliza and their children, accompanied by some stragglers and prisoners, had by then become fugitives in the hinterland. The end came at Carocora, close to the Brazilian border, on the 1st of March 1870. They were surrounded by the Brazilian cavalry and Lopez and their eldest son Francisco were killed in Eliza's presence. So she apparently was wearing, they lost everything. Mm -hmm. They were really rich and by all means had a great life doing polka, uh, you know, having all these big balls. She was bringing all these artists over from Europe. They had six children. I said seven earlier, it's actually six. Um, And then the war happened and they lost everything. Everything was confiscated. But in this scene, in all the sources that I've come across, um, she's wearing a ragged ball gown and dancing slippers like in the middle of this battle like the, the last battle that her husband actually gets shot at and her oldest son and a lot of the sources they most loved which <laughs> you know is just a bit shady I think on the others um, or I don't know where they got that but they nearly all say it um, the Brazilian officers told him to surrender and and he replied um, that a Paraguayan colonel never surrenders and he was shot and killed by the Allied soldiers. And at this lynch, after jumpering, jumping and covering her son's body, exclaimed in Portuguese, is this the civilization you have promised? Making a reference to the Allies' claims that they intended to free Paraguay from a tyrant and delivered freedom and civilization to the nation. She then buried Lopez and her son with her bare hands before being taken as a prisoner. So she's there in this ball gown, in these slippers. Her husband has been shot, her son has been shot, and she buries them with her bare hands. No, that's like incredibly cinematic. I literally it, got chills Isn't there. it crazy? Yeah. Like, I haven't seen that film that was made, but I want to. But like, there is... It's so picturesque. I... But you can also see the you can see the Lady Macbeth element of it a little bit as well. Just even like the whole idea of like Lady Macbeth afterwards kind of running around in the night again with the yeah. out spot out or whatever. Like it's I don't know, there there there's definitely a duality there that you can you can visualise the two of them for sure. Yeah. You can see why people picked up on that. And Antigone, you know, like burying the the from the, the play Antigone where she has to go and bury her brother who's a traitor outside the in outside in the country because he can't be buried in in the city because he's been a traitor and she like sneaks out at night and goes to his where he's been flung to be eaten by vultures and like buries him um with her I don't know does she do it with her bare hands but it's very like 
I'm not going to lie, I missed that week in college. <laughs> um, and I'm, it's been a while since I've done it, so I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happens, but I don't know. But it makes sense as well when you were kind of saying about like the amount of stuff that's been written about her and everything. And like this is like this is the arc that it's okay for for women to have in in fiction back in those days. You know, there was two. You could have the the woman who's like pure and blah blah blah. Your 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 Bennets of the world or whatever. Or you can have your Bovaries or yeah. your Anna Karenina's or you know the woman who goes off the beaten track, but then like is punished as a result. Gets her comeuppance. And unfortunately, Eliza Lynch is kind of the the latter that they do punish her and um, she does claim british citizenship and escapes um south america to go to london but when she gets there one of her sons dies um of an illness i imagine they they had no resources like at all all their all the property that she once owned had been confiscated every they had nothing she got to London in July in 1870 and pursued legal claims for embezzlement against a Dr. William Stewart, the formal medical advisor to the Paraguayan army, whom she had entrusted with part of her fortune. She won one of her actions, but Stewart declared bankruptcy. The Paraguayan government declared her an outlaw and appropriated all her lands in 1870. By then she was the greatest landowner in the country, having acquired approximately a third of the national territory in her own name. Eliza and her son Enrique returned to Asuncion to face down her accusers on the 23rd of October 1875, but the government refused to see her. She then went to Buenos Aires, where she wrote and published her Exposition a protesta, a passionate defence of her entire career against the people who said bad things about her. <laughs> um, so there, there is that book that I mentioned earlier, um, the Americana book, and they say she lost lawsuits in Edinburgh to retrieve her pro- property and wandered through Palestine and died destitute in Paris. There's nowhere else. <laughs> I, I don't know how she would have got to Edinburgh, to Palestine, and back to Paris. Uh, but I just was like, that's interesting. Um, she returned to Paris where she lived discreetly. She died on the 25th of July, 1886, and was buried in uh, the very famous cemetery there. Delicious. Yes. <laughs> And in 1961, her remains were exhumed and returned to Sunsian by the dictator General Alfredo Strasner, who declared her the national heroine of Paraguay. They lie in an elaborate tomb in the National Cemetery, La Ricoleta. So, I have some questions. Yes. All right. So, like, interesting lady, for sure. Very interesting story. Very cinematic, very novelistic. But why was she considered the heroine of Paraguay? Herself and her husband are responsible for the death of the majority of the population of the country. So I am obviously not a historian and don't know the ins and outs of it. Um, There are loads of books written about Eliza Lynch. So there's one in particular by Ronan Fanning and Michael Lillis that's... uh, the most in-depth um, book about her and kind of really goes into uh, all aspects of her story and what happened. 
Um, but in regards to what happened in the political sense of what was going on there at the time, the war began in late eighteen sixty four as a result of a conflict between Paraguay and Brazil caused by the U- Uruguayan War. So Argentina and Uruguay entered the war against Paraguay in eighteen sixty five, and then it became known as the War of the Triple Alliance. The war ended with the total defeat of Paraguay. It was all about basically lingering boundary conflicts with multiple neighbours, so most had overlapping claims to the same territories. The more contemporary political figures that have named her as a heroine have talked about the similarities between Ireland and England and what was happening there. So it was all about borders and control of land, basically. But the people of Paraguay, I believe, again, I am not a historian. I just like the sound of Eliza Lynch. Um, they had they believed that it was theirs, that it was their land. So they're they were fighting for the independence of their land. So they're heroes to the country. But in a lot of the books that reference her, they say that it was her that was power mad and that he was fine and that everything was fine. So th- these would be the people who don't agree with the war, mm-hmm. you know, their enemies. Or um, a lot of people from the neighbouring countries would be like that they, she was power mad, that they went there and she wanted control of all these countries and she made him do it and it was her. And that she was this, like, Jezebel, power-hungry witch of a woman, like, giving him instructions to dominate the, the whole country. Earth. whispering at her with her evil vagina <laughs> whispering at him with her evil vagina her beautiful evil Juno-esque <laughs> vagina <laughs> start a war yeah. Um, yeah so I really want to read more about her uh, this is just a brief introduction to her she sounds pretty baller to be honest The that man Ronan Fanning who was the historian in UCD for a long time I want to (laughs) say might be Trinity pretty sure it's UCD Uh, he wrote the book because he went to visit Paraguay and met the president and he was like oh how does your country feel about our national national heroine heroine and uh, he was like oh it's a matter of great interest to us but he (laughs) had no idea what he was talking about so it then took him on a journey, he said in articles that um, I'll reference down the bottom, that she went on the seven-year journey of finding out about her and her story. But I would really like to read her exposition uh, as well, because that's her story of she was really torn to shreds in the political papers, in cartoons, essentially the tabloids at the time, and she wrote that as her manifesto to protect herself and her legacy i wasn't able to find it online it's not available there but i'm sure it's available behind a paywall somewhere yes and yeah i also want to do a my heritage thing or an ancestry.com to find out if she is my ancestor fingers crossed (laughs) one can dream hidden gold over in paraguay you can go and, and and claim it for your own like she never got to. So, yes, we have now got social media pages. We do. 
Can you remember the handles of them? They're Phenomenal Podcast on Instagram and Phenomenal Podcast on Facebook. And we are now available on loads of different platforms. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on other ones that I can't remember. We're on seven platforms altogether now. So if you would like our social media pages and maybe follow us or download us or say nice things about us on our various platforms so that other people could find it that'd be pretty sweet yes and tell your friends and your moms and your aunts yeah. and all the phenomenal women and men in your life and men men need to learn about phenomenal women too <laughs> maybe more so <laughs> um yes yeah, so thanks for listening guys and tune in again next week bye